The Game of Thrones verse continues to grow. Warner Brothers and Paramount might merge. The 2023 box office was stacked. Plus, we answer questions from our patrons. All of that and more on this week's Multiverse News. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name is Matthew Carroll, and on the panel with me today, we have Jay Sisson from Commute the Podcast. What's going on, Jay? Hey, new year, new me. It's 2024. It's time to reinvent myself. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> and Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. What's going on, Haley Hobbs? I will not be reinventing myself, but Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> New Year, same old Haley. Yep. And Jay Scotty St. Clair from Animation Deliberation. What's up, Jay Scotty? Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. So I, I need to hear more uh, about this new you, Jay. You got, you got, any, you got, you got a uh, New Year's resolutions? I kind of fired from the hip there. Uh, I don't really have anything lined up. <laughs> uh, maybe 2025. Maybe I've already missed 2024. I just have to circle around 2025. <laughs> yeah, circle back in a year. You made a bold claim. <laughs> anybody? Anybody got any resolutions worth, worth throwing out? I don't do that. I've never been tried- big on resolutions because my birthday is on the 4th and it feels kind of, you know... Punitive <laughs> to like deny myself from all my my favorite things right before my birthday. Yeah, I I don't I don't do resolutions. I always try to set goals for the year. That way, yeah. it's less it's less like restrictive, but it's more like mm-hmm. I have a goal for what I'm doing this year. And I looked at my goals for last year. I had done one of like twenty actually completed. It's really terrible. <laughs> but you completed one. That's right. You got to celebrate yeah. those victories where you got them. It's That's hard right. to not right. be like not realistic at the beginning of the year, like I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, but then the year happens and life gets busy and you know, yeah, it's tough to, tough to knock them out. Got to start small. Indeed. Oh, and I started small, but this year, all of them, 20, 20 of 20. (laughs) Here we go. Just make them smart goals. (laughs) Yes. 20 of 20. All of them are very easy. Um, (laughs) Wake up. Check. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I woke up almost every day this year. <laughs> All right, up first in the news, fans of Jorah R. Martin's epic world of Westeros and beyond got a New Year's treat when the author announced on his personal blog that the spinoff series Nine Voyages will now be animated rather than live action. Citing budgetary constraints that would have kept the live-action show from reaching its full potential, Martin voiced his support for the media move while including that three animated projects are currently on the table, uh, though not all are greenlit. Martin also hinted at the possibility of graphic novels. Will the Game of Thrones fandom answer the call of these animated projects? I'll start by addressing the dragon in the room, if you will, and that is my (laughs) relationship with Game of Thrones. I have not read the books. I have not even seen the full series in its entirety. I I watched it right around this time last year, kind of binged it across like two or three months and made it all the way to like halfway through season six and just kind of lost steam. Like life happened, got busy, other things to watch, whatever. And just, you know, the, the fan reception to the final couple of seasons was kind of dissuading me anyway, but... It was really the the positive reception to um, House of Dragons, and when that was coming out, that really motivated me to go back and watch it. So as a fan of animated content, I do think this is a little bit of a mixed bag because I, I think it makes sense when they cite budgetary restraints as the reason 
for going the path of animation. But um, I have to look at it from you know the big picture, and the and the the truth is this is a animated spinoff of a spinoff of an adaptation. And I guess my fear there is um, in terms of like the audience that is going to make that transition with them and the conversion, what that's going to look like. Like, I think it's realistic to expect that not everybody's going to make that transition. I just hope that it's not like a knock against animation. It's like, Hey, we tried this in animated format and it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's animated because I, I'm a strong advocate for animation in terms of like these fantasy settings and just the ability to depict anything and otherworldly things and magical, you know, realms and powers and just place the camera wherever you want. That's really exciting. Um, So, you know, I do think that we'll just kind of have to, to wait and see how this first one is received. I am always a little bit hesitant when they say, like, not only are we doing this, but we're doing this, 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 and this. Like, let's mm-hmm. see how this first one is received and kind of go on from there. But I do think Game of Thrones is a property that's really um, rich to be mined. So I'm on board for it. Yeah, House of the Dragon has shown that this universe can be expanded and you can go backwards and you can go forwards and you can build around the timeline, which did not end in a way that pleased most people. And that sort of let the air out of the balloon at the end of the run of Game of Thrones. It was the peak show in probably television history in terms of just like the cultural moment that it created in the last season and then to fall off so hard and be so not well received by most people. That was kind of a crossroads, I think, for the franchise and deciding what it was going to do from there, if it was going to, if HBO was going to back away from it or not. So to see the success of House of the Dragon, I think that does beg more for this franchise and it shows that people are interested in following it, even if they're not super crazy with how that last or how that first season or sorry, first run of seasons ended. Uh, but I will say that if you are a fan of the written work of George R.R. R. Martin, this is just further confirmation that you're probably never getting The Winds of Winter, which is the highly anticipated (laughs) book that he has been working on for over a decade that is supposedly supposed to wrap up the Game of Thrones saga. And if you don't know anything about this, it is fascinating because he wrote these books. He started them in the 90s. The last book was written over a decade ago, and the show came out around this time. And Martin said that he would in theory, finish this book while the show was going on, and that eventually he would be able to adapt things from the Winds of Winter into the show. Well, the show just kept going and going and going and getting closer and closer and closer to the main characters in the story, and then the show passed the the narrative because there was no winds of winter and so every time he's asked about it he gets very defensive he's like i'm not done with it yet i'm still working on it anytime he announces another project everyone's like why are you doing this and not this and people are just very (laughs) he's angry when people ask the fans are angry that they have to ask and this is just hey the guy's busy and now he's busier and He's in his 70s. You may never get Winds of Winter. You just might have to, might just have to mm-hmm. hang that up. Just write the, write the end in your own mind. I, I don't know how I would feel about this uh, um, news of the animated series last week. But, I don't know. I, coming off the heels of What If Season 2, I loved What If Season 2. And I re- it, it made me really thankful. That, especially the last episode. I kept being feeling thankful for what we're getting with what if because it went so wild with how big they let the story get and how many characters they brought in and how interesting the ending was and i was just like man this is so cool that we're getting this big multiversal story and we would never have gotten it uh 
I don't, I don't see this ever coming out in live action and getting it. The fact that it's animated was not only budgetary, but it's also as uh, uh, George R. R. Martin says here is like it's budgetary constraints that the show would have never reached its full potential in live action. You know, right? That was the way I was feeling when I was watching What If. I was like, this never would have been done in live action as as big as it was here. And so I really thought it was cool to get the chance to see that. So I don't know. I'm just kind of high on. What if what if this week and I think that this could be another cool animated property where we get more expansive story for the real big fans of this uh series than we could have gotten otherwise. So I'm digging it. All right. Well, up next, in a move that absolutely looks to compete with streaming giants Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global CEOs officially entered talks to merge the two media companies. Both left 2023 with long-term debt loads, but with Warner Brothers' market capitalization valued at $28.4 billion, perhaps there's room for both to turn around and become a real competitor in the wild world of streaming. Burnished into action by the controlling interest in Paramount having already been in talks to sell Skydance, Warner Brothers Discovery has the opportunity to acquire such film franchises as Terminator, Transformers, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, and more, as well as Paramount's television rights, including CBS, BET, and MTV, to name a few. And more Star Trek. This feels like an interesting move by Warner Brothers, who made a similar acquisition of Discovery back in 2022. Do we think this consolidation will be good or bad for some of our favorite fictional universes? I think this move by Warner Brothers is akin to Disney acquiring Fox. And I think that that's their goal is to compete with Disney at every level. And I think they can do it. Um, I We made fun of them calling the HBO streaming service Max forever ago, but that's what I... I call it that now, don't worry. And I spent a lot of time actually watching stuff on Max over my winter break. And so I think that this acquisition will kind of really put them on par with Disney with their stable of things that they have to offer because these are some huge franchises that could come under Warner Brothers if this merger goes through. It's interesting that uh, Sherry Redstone, who is basically the CEO of Paramount Global um, has already been approached by somebody else and by Skydance, which is kind of a left field little dark horse coming out there to to get these rights to Paramount stuff. But I think that hopefully if this happens, we'd see continued improvement in a lot of these franchises. There's a lot of um, horror stuff that Paramount would bring into Warner Brothers, which already has quite a bit anyway. And that's kind of getting some big traction at the box office. People are excited about these series that are going to come out. Um, and that's just one little niche part of what they could acquire. So I think it would be good. However, <laughs> comma, Warner Brothers has not shown the best management like ever, maybe. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it would probably mean they need to also reevaluate their top brass at the same time. <laughs> we we talked actually a ton about this on... Um a Star Trek Universe podcast this week because it was actually, I think, before this article came out, there was just speculation swirling that a merger of some type was possible. So on, on the Star Trek Universe podcast, we kind of talked about different companies and the strengths and weaknesses of if different companies tried to buy Paramount because that's where all Star Trek is now. For a long time, the Star Trek TV rights and movie rights were in different places. And so for years, it was really hard to get like crossover stuff happening. And 
uh, finally Paramount finally owns both and they started making consistent content the last few years. And then it was a, it was a, it's been, it finally we've been getting consistent content. And now this merger is kind of threatening to like shake everything up again. And uh, not that all shakeups are bad, but we're, we're a little nervous about our, our Star Trek stuff and what will continue and what will be thrown to the wayside. Um, because Warner Brothers and I think it's David, I can't ever say his last name. Zaslav. Zaslav. Yeah. Zaslav. Uh, yeah. He, he has, he is known uh, for the DC stuff he's been doing, which is hit or miss. It's like he is giving James Gunn creative control, which could be amazing. It's a big bet. It's a big swing, but it could be amazing. It could be exactly what DC needs to like turn it all around. But he also just said no Batgirl movie coming out. You know what I mean? Like he's like he, he's 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 stopping projects that were midstream, but he's also giving creatives control. So we're worried about what that means for Star Trek and shows we've been watching for four or five years. Are they going to get thrown on the scrap heap in lieu of some new version of things? Is is um, so? It's this kind of this is the Star Trek side of things. But um, I, I guess I guess that sort of uh, question looms for all these properties. Um, some of them like, you know, Terminator or whatever. Like I can't, I don't see that that's been, uh, not a lot has been done with it lately in a real serious way. So I'm excited to see what some of those things could have new life. But, um, so the ones that are in active development, it worries me because we've seen the sort of fall of the DCEU that, uh, has come with the new management over there. Yeah. It should also be said that this is just, a talk. It's still a consideration. It's not something that is official. Uh, and so that's something to always keep in mind. Um, I will say that Wall Street is a lot less bullish on this actually happening. Um, people who hmm. kind of monitor the stock prices of both companies are saying that this would be a bad move because both companies are so indebted. They took huge debts on uh, over the last couple of years. And so to think about them merging together, that wouldn't do much from a business standpoint in terms of their stock price and stuff like that. So uh, Wall Street and uh, has kind of thrown out like, if they really were serious about it, instead of an outright, we're going to buy you, there could be like a, we're going to buy your stock or we're going to have like a stock merger or something like that to where it's not like a full on merger, but there's still like some intertwining happening between these companies. So it'll be something to watch. It seems like over the holiday, it was kind of like a, let's have a meeting and sit down and talk about what this looks like if we did it. But now that the idea is out there and people are talking about it and analyzing what it would look like from a business standpoint, from a stock standpoint and all of that, it does have a little bit of life as a, as a story. So I think there's just, there's there's a lot to watch there. I mean, Paramount has been not just talking about with Warner Brothers. They talked about bundling their streaming service with Apple as like a discount. Like Paramount's trying to get out there uh, and connect with some type of other company to make Paramount Plus specifically a lot more appealing. And they have valuable properties. Nickelodeon is huge. Like you think about like kids, like Netflix has got a huge kids catalog. Um, Max, like not so much like they in terms of like what they have for kids. So you think about getting Nickelodeon on there, like that's a huge huge draw. Uh, so there's a lot to consider there, but um, it's just one of those things that it's very much up in the air. It's a conversation and we'll just kind of have to watch it as we move forward. Yeah. I read the Variety article that they did kind of, you know, breaking down this whole rumor and it was interesting reading it given the benefit of like hindsight, having watched Succession because it felt like a scene right out of Succession, like David Saslov having lunch with the CEO <laughs> of Paramount, like hmm. in New York, just having lunch, just kind of courting him, like, you know, just entertaining this idea. 
Um, but what I was, and, and to that point, I was able to understand about 25% of it and, this, and the other 75% was just, you know, business jargon. But I, I got the, the general sentiment um, as I came away from it. But my understanding was, you know, should Sherry Redstone, you know, sell her controlling stake, we might see a situation. So whether this merger happens or whether it doesn't, like Jay, you talking about all these valuable properties, we would probably see a scenario where um, all of those divisions and studios get parsed off. So if that were to take place, I guess my, my question is like, what kind of impact would that have on the industry? Because like mergers we've been talking about a lot, like Apple, Disney would like, you know, I, I could totally see a situation with Disney having taken the losses it did this year. Maybe it starts to you know sparse, parse off some of those those divisions and properties as well. So, as a as a fan, like you know, I, that's, those are red flags. But you know, it's it, again where this is where we're kind of seeing the dichotomy of the business and the creative just become more obvious and uh, apparent. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And up next. It seemed like it would be the year the box office failed due to the combined writers and actors strikes, a huge change in streaming trends, as well as audience tastes changing. However, this was simply not the case. Among standout films like Barbie, Oppenheimer, and Five Nights at Freddy's, as well as franchise films and both Taylor Swift and Beyonce's concert films, 2023 rang in an impressive $9 billion box office total. The studios that held up best in order of money brought in were Universal with $1.93 billion, Disney with $1.89 billion, and Warner Brothers with $1.4 billion. We've talked about the up and down of the box office all year. What trends do we hope the studios take away from this incredibly unique year of moviegoing? Yeah, those are big numbers, but it is important to note that that is down from what it traditionally is. It does tend to be a little bit higher than that. Uh, it is interesting that Disney is not the number one spot because they have been for most of the, I mean, for the most, uh, for the past few years, at least six or seven years, most of the time, uh, Disney runs away with the number one spot at the box office. But you had a lot of films crack, well, not a lot, but you had a lot of films crack big numbers this year, and none of them were Disney films. Barbie uh, made mm. well over a billion. The Super Mario Brothers movie made well over a billion. Oppenheimer got really close to a billion. But still, these, these are the movies that carried us uh, in terms of the overall global box office. Uh, at the end of the end of the year uh, at Christmas time uh, there were some solid movies hit the hit the box office the color purple had a great Christmas day uh, and continues to be relatively strong at the box office Wonka actually had a pretty solid December uh, and continues to have really nice weekends at the box office so you know the the end of the year finished strong uh, next year will be a little tricky because the actors strike and the writer strike we haven't really fully felt the effects of that until next year uh, all of the delays that we've talked so much about a lot of them skipped over this next year 2024 and have gone into 2025 uh, or they're at the tail end of 2024 so it's important to remember that uh, is that the box office is growing but it's still got a lot of challenges ahead of it uh, in terms of coming over this hump that we got through in 2023 in Hollywood uh, with these multi-week long strikes that we're going to feel the effects of for a while, not to mention just the patterns of consumers have changed ever since COVID and streaming, and those have not come back to pre-streaming and pre-COVID levels and probably never will. So there's a lot there to work through when you're when you're talking about what a box office is going to look like going forward. But, um, you know, mm -hmm. we're seeing growth uh, for sure. Um, next year, I don't know if we'll see that because of the less less movies coming to the to the theater, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. 
I really think the smart money, if you if you were if if I was a movie company, I would be trying to not necessarily try to replicate the Barbenheimer thing because that's silly, but like think of Barbie, Barbenheimer, and Taylor Swift this year were both events where people could go to the movies and feel like they were part of an event and dress up and do all kinds of like be a part of an audience that wants to see something. I think concert films. Uh, I think she's probably trailblazed a way for concert films to be seen in a way that like in a light that we haven't seen them in the past. Uh, but also things like Barbie, things like where there is a built in like cosplaying element the, with the popularity of cons and things like that. I think that's like that's the sweet spot for movies. It seems right now, like I think I think that's like the trend that I think is replicable, unlike something as like wild and unwieldy as a meme. Uh, I think the idea of putting together not just a film with like cool special effects, because you can do that on a TV now, but like a, a reason for people to be in the same room where you're like taking part of a communal experience. And I think that's going to, I think is, if someone can figure out how to harness that well, I think that the movie uh, theater could come back. The, the issue with that is though, is that even a movie theater anymore? You know, like if it's not the traditional thing we used to, it's kind of like for years we've been talking about with the Marvelfication of everything and the like big franchise movies taking up so many screens, we're seeing less and less films, you know, less and less quieter, smaller films. And if the other screens start getting taken up with people trying to do experiential stuff like that, like, I don't even know, man, the, the movie theater like will, has changed so much already in the last 10 years and it will continue to change. Uh, for these reasons, I think. So, you know what's wild about Barmanheimer? Did anybody else watch Margot Robbie and Killian Murphy's Actors on Actors interview? No. I no, to, I have been meaning to, but haven't gotten to it yet. They tried to make Barbie move dates. They called Margot Robbie, and they said, move your date. And she was like, no. Well, she would have said, nar, nar, you move your date. <laughs> and they were like, no, you move your date. She's like, if you're too afraid to go up against us, move your date. And she's literally the reason why we had Barbenheimer. And I think that's so mm. flipping amazing of her as an actress and as a producer of the film to not be afraid to go against Christopher Nolan because she knew she had something so extremely special. Like, that blew my mind when she said that. That's amazing. I did see someone asked Christopher Nolan, like, do you think the box office is healthy? Like, do you think the film industry right now is in a good place? And he was like, guys, I just made a movie that is three hours long. That's about Oppenheimer. Half of it is in black and white, and it made almost a billion dollars. <laughs> like, yeah, I think we're doing fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, 2023 was a really important year for movies in terms of like illustrating the real paradigm shift we're seeing in terms of like what people really want to go out in droves to see. But in terms of 2024, I think, you know, the movies that we have on the way, it's, it's a little bit too late to like learn the lesson from 2023. But I guess my hope going forward is that, uh, we will learn the lesson here and it's everything I've been saying, be a little more conservative with these budgets, make them more appropriate to the kind of audience turnout that you're going to get. I would like to see some stronger marketing. That's one thing I will say about like this first batch of movies coming up for 2024, 2024 does look like it's going to be kind of front loaded, but I'm a little concerned about the lack of marketing I've seen for some of these like temple projects. So uh, we shall see. Well, I guess at that, we're going to take a quick break uh, when we come back, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about in our Spotify poll and a lightning round coming at you. Plus, we'll take some patron questions. All that right after this. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to Multiverse News. All right, my friends, we uh, had a Spotify poll this week. Did you guys, we 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 did our top five last week, top five question, uh, TV shows and movies, and I just simply asked in our Spotify poll, what did we miss that made it to your top five this year? And uh, we got a bunch of answers. Um, we got a Neil and Tom Games uh, said uh, Gojira minus one, or you know, for you English speakers, Godzilla minus one. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> for which I, did, did, was that not on your list, Jay Scotty? It was. It was number four on my top five. I thought movies, it made so. the list. Oh, Neil and Tom. <laughs> Good taste. Neil and Tom. <laughs> that movie needs more attention anyway. So go out and see Godzilla minus one. Have we mentioned the uh, result of the contest or uh, the, the the bet here on the on the cast? I think we've mentioned it. I don't, I don't think, think we've talked about it yet. No. Podcast, yeah. No, yeah, so we, we had the bet that uh, uh, Aquaman 2 would make more than $40 million, I was betting, and you said less than $40 million, Yes. Which I originally said more than uh, more than Blue Beetle, but I did allow you to up, up it, you know, so whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you did. Uh, once you, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. You did. Um, but it, I just want to point out that it did do way better than Blue Beetle. But... Uh, I, I I have lost forty million. It, it made thir- what's the final count? Thirty eight like point three. Ooh, so close, <laughs> yeah. so close. So I have to eat a Carolina Reaper on the show. I don't even think that's the bet. Now, but I am going to. It should I'm, be said. I'm like try. You, you shouldn't. I, I don't. I have like reserve. I don't want to be responsible for you know you going to the hospital. So like maybe a <laughs> maybe a nibble or something. Like uh, you know we'll, I don't know. Like we'll do some research. I, I don't want to do anything too dangerous. <laughs> But I do think it'd be funny if I have to try to read the news while uh, gagging. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I did um, on the Thursday before the box office. I got the early projections, and the early projections were like 42 or something. So I was like, "All right, I'm for sure losing this bet because the early projections are almost always dead on." And um, so I went ahead and ordered them. So I stayed up late that night. And I watched probably like an hour's worth of videos of people eating Carolina Reapers, just psyching myself out a little bit because I was like, okay, I got to mentally prepare myself for this. And uh, yeah, like I just laid awake, like staring at the ceiling, like, yeah, you're going to have to do this. (laughs) And uh, so they did arrive. And um, then, yeah, the box office, we got through Sunday and it needed to make about 12 million on Monday on Christmas. And it only made like 10. So, you know just couldn't uh couldn't hack it i mean that that movie is uh it's a epic disaster Terrible. epic disaster i mean that's a that's a yeah. bomb of uh epic proportions yes indeed and you haven't even seen it yet <laughs> no and i won't you don't even know <laughs> i've heard bad bad things from people who normally would really enjoy it so i i'm, I'm it bummed was a bad uh, bad movie <laughs> yeah mm, that's a bummer that's a bummer i have not seen it yet uh, but I probably will because you know should have seen it on opening it's weekend. It's entertaining in its way. <laughs> it's not the worst have... DC EU movie. I will say that. <laughs> no, well, that's good. It's, it's pretty low bar. Right, there. low bar. <laughs> 2016 uh, Suicide Squad. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, oh, Wonder Woman 1984 is my bottom. <laughs> mm. Ooh, yeah, that's pretty bad too. The DC EU is over, so we should do a DC EU rankings on an episode at some point. Like mm, yeah. rank all the DC EU movies. Be fun. I like that. I like that a lot. It's not bad. Um, okay, so moving moving on here. Uh, uh, again, what did we miss in our top fives last week? 
Uh, Dylan Frazina said, uh, Bo is afraid. Anybody on Bo is afraid? Saw Bo is afraid, really enjoyed Bo is afraid, but it, uh, coming in at three hours, it is a existential crisis of a movie that I'm not uh, keen to revisit. So uh, it was, it was a great movie and I love Ari Aster, but I uh, couldn't make my, my top list, but it was a great movie. Mm. Uh, Mo Possums, which I really like that name. It's, <laughs> Uh, it says our our flag means death, which I heard nothing but great things about the show, and I did not get a chance to catch up catch up on it. I thought when you started that that Mo Possums was the name of the movie, and I was like, how did I miss, <laughs> how did I miss this? I don't... <laughs> Mo Possums, Mo Problems. <laughs> uh, Serena says a good person. Anybody watch a good person? It's on the list. I know it stars Florence Pugh, and it was directed by Zach Braff, who she was involved with at the time. So I, I may have, there may have been jealousy. That was a, a factor yeah. there. I, I boycotted that movie. <laughs> oh, man. Ant says Megan, uh, which I did watch half of. And then I got to a particularly gruesome scene, and which I was watching with my niece, and had to turn off. It's PG-13. I thought it'd be okay. And then there was an old lady getting her flesh peeled off. And I had to turn it off. <laughs> uh, you say that, and I wanted the R version of Megan. I had fun with Megan, but I was like, they should have made this R. Why didn't they make this R? I don't know, man. That scene, I don't know if you remember the scene I'm talking about, but the old lady getting her face With the water off. pressure? Yeah, with water pressure. <laughs> like, her skin's falling off. It has scarred me. Like, it really, like, sorry few things... Few things scar me as an adult. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, you have those those moments where you're like, "Ooh, that was that one hurt." But that 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 was it was out of nowhere too. It's like a, I felt like it was a kids movie almost. Like it's a it's a teen movie or something. I mean, PG thirteen. Uh, like I mean, that's uh, I guess they can get away with a lot now. Yeah, apparently, apparently. I, we almost lost Scotty just now. <laughs> down. I think, I think it's down. safely earned its PG-13 rating, so just I don't mean to make light of your trauma, but it was just a really <laughs> funny reaction. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think the rest... I didn't even see the rest of the movie, so I don't know how safely it stayed within the lines everywhere else, but like I don't know. Once your skin is falling off of the face, like I feel like you're, you're, you're in our territory for me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I guess not. I guess not. No, I mean, what Indiana is, Jones and yeah, the that's what Raiders I was of say, the yeah. Lost Ark, they're all melted. And that that's melty faces. Super gross. <laughs> that looks it's like the can- same basic principle. It's nasty. No, Their skin no. and bones are liquefied. <laughs> yes, they're melting like candles. That is a totally different effect than like <laughs> skin being pulled off of a face by water pressure. It's like a totally different thing. And an old lady, too. Those were Nazis. She wasn't this that was old. Like, Come on. <laughs> was it? I thought it was an old, like, like, like a grandma She's like type. a middle-aged neighbor. Oh, she was like on the older side of things, but she wasn't like elderly. I'm remembering it differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Marvel fan <laughs> says we missed Gran Turismo, which I heard that today from uh, John Irons of Captain Game Show mentioned that as one that was it's he really streaming likes now. Show. I'll catch it there. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Marissa LeMay said we missed Warrior Season 3. I don't know what that is. Anybody? Warrior is, is a Netflix show, I believe. Is that the one based on Bruce Lee, his life? Oh, cool. Ooh, maybe. I think so. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Um, Andre Sparks, so we missed a lot of things. Superman and Lois, season three. Strange New World, season two. That was on my list. <laughs> and then uh, Fubar, uh, John Wick 4, and Extraction Somebody else could have edited this, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't pointing at you, I was pointing at uh, Andre Sparks. <laughs> I didn't miss it. 
Extraction 2 was good if you like that sort of thing. Like, if you liked Extraction 1, you liked <laughs> Extraction 2. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, if you like, uh, if you like that, that joint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, and then we also had one the previous week. Uh, should Marvel recast Kang or move on from the character? And you guys uh, were split 50-50, which uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty wild. I, uh, that is a divided fan base right now. I, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but we also had a rumor, and I figured now was a good time to mention it, talking about this question. Uh, there's a rumor that Coleman Domingo of The Walking Dead, uh, well, Fear the Walking Dead, I believe, and the Color Purple fame uh, may be in talks to replace Jonathan Majors as Kang. Anybody have thoughts on uh, Coleman Domingo? I do. He played a real POS in the color purple, so he can <laughs> be a baddie really good. Like, he did a great job. He plays a terrible role. It's not his fault. He did a really good job. And so I was like, when Jay sent this, I thought, ooh, that reignites my interest in them continuing with Kang for sure. Yeah, that, that really interests me because one of my favorite things about He Who Remains version of Kang uh, from the end of Loki is how, like, impish is the word i always want to use is just like he's just so uh trickster like and he's bouncing around and he's laughing and he's sort of like just really hamming it up and that is something that on fear the walking dead his character's really really um there's just sort of like a playfulness behind his eyes all the time and he's just sort of like enjoying the chaos of the end of the world you know and, and i think that that resonates with how uh he who remains was played and if you're saying he plays a good baddie too i could see uh I could see really enjoying him as Kang. Yeah, I, uh, I know Coleman Domingo's name from the Candyman uh, movie from Nia DaCosta from a couple mm. years back, and he played kind of an unsavory character there, but he, he did a really good job as well. And I've certainly been hearing his name um, in terms of awards contention, not only for The Color Purple, but also there's a, uh, a movie called Rustin, which I haven't seen, but apparently um, people are really, really happy with his performance there. But uh, what I come back to is I just, he's, he's on the rise, and yeah, he's, you know, he's an actor that's a, a little bit older. He's had a storied career and he's just now becoming kind of like a household name but I, I just don't see the appeal like he's on the rise like he is more desirable to marvel right now than i think marvel would be to him to like step into the shoes of like a, 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 a character that was played by another actor and one that like the publicity around it i just i really just don't see the the appeal at this point in time um like if it was a lesser known actor sure it'd be a great opportunity for somebody like that Hmm. Yeah, but it's an interesting conundrum because you can't have a nobody because like yeah, then there's tough. no excitement about yep. it, and this is supposed to be a huge character. Yeah, so he's kind of that cuspy. Like, yeah, people are starting to really know who he is, but he's still kind of underground a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, that's fair. It, he to me, he's in that perfect fan or fame spot. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I, I know we've talked a lot about how this recast is hard, partly because who wants to follow Jonathan Major's beloved performance that he had to leave for, you know, he was he was uh, fired for unrelated reasons than the performance, you know, the acting. And people, right. uh, who wants to follow that? Who wants to deal with the drama of that? Um, but it is still Marvel's next big villain. It's the next Thanos or whatever. Like it's still a really desirable role. And while Coleman Domingo has definitely had a story career and like has done some big things, nothing on that level. You right. know what I mean? Like yeah. so so where do you go? Like, I don't know if there's another place other than like Marvel for the last fifteen years has been like the place to go to be like you're the biggest star in the world. 
going to be doing like the biggest hit them out of the park movies and there's not really a clear answer to what else replaces that you know what i mean at this moment but we just talked about 2023 i don't think that's the case anymore well i agree but like there's no replacement for it so if you're at coleman domingo's level where you're like well i'm ready to take that swing and to be in the big thing where do you go? I mean, it's like, it still seems like Marvel, DC, Star Wars are still the safest bets, even though they're not as good a bet as they were a year ago. So yeah. I don't know that Coleman Domingo has another choice if he wants to take a swing at something that's real pop cultural icon, pop culturally iconic. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And the way this rumor is being reported is that there's no talks, there's nothing official. It's just that they're considering him. They're considering other people. So with that kind of language, it makes me even think that Marvel doesn't even fully know what they want to do here. We've already heard that they're referring to this film as Avengers 5. They're, they've changed writers. They're retooling the scripts. And I think that signals that they're exploring all options. They're talking to a lot of people. We just got out of the actor's strike. You can talk to people now. We just got out of the writer's strike. We can. We got through the holidays. So I think there's still a lot on the table. I think, I think there's still a lot of, up in the air here. I don't think it's as simple as like, we're doing it and we need the guy. And so when we get the guy, then we'll do it. I think a lot of it depends on, can we get the person that we feel like can carry it? And if we can, then maybe now it becomes more of a possibility to do this storyline in this way. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts there that have to be resolved. Um, I don't think it's just a total shoe in that this will be, they're just going to recast somebody. Like, I think it's, it's gotta be the right right fit. And, um, I think Colt Domingo would be the right fit. I mean, I think it, he would ins- inspire a lot of excitement uh, in the in the franchise and in that storyline. And I think people would would embrace that. But it's just you got to get a lot of people on the same page, and there's a lot of moving parts there that have to come to fruition. Well, and to address the whole Jonathan Majors legal issues, those follow Jonathan Majors. They don't follow Marvel now because Marvel let him go. Like to me, that's done. You know, yeah. and whoever they cast to replace him. From a PR standpoint, you know, give it enough space, I think it's okay. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's a unique challenge to, like, the idea that Marvel has recast before, but always kind of minor characters that didn't have a big impact on what they were doing. They've never had to recast the central character for their current saga. And so it's an interesting challenge as to whether they can weather that sort of... Whether they can weather, sorry. Um <laughs> <laughs> whether they can make it through that sort of challenge. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, up next, we got the lightning round. Uh, let's, let's do this thing. Um, <laughs> we need some like lightning, thunder and lightning effect. Yeah. Video game sound. Yes. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll work on that. We'll let's workshop it a little bit. Um, you guys know the rules of the lightning round. I'm going to tell a story, uh, a shorter story, a shorter headline, and you guys hop in and claim that story by buzzing in with your name, and whoever buzzes in gets to respond to the story, and you get one rebuttal throughout the entire lightning round. Here we go. Netflix has released the first trailer for Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon Part 2, The Scar Giver, following the debut of Part 1, A Child of Fire. The film will debut on Netflix on April 19th, 2024. Part 1, A Child of Fire, saw a solid debut for Netflix, racking up nearly 24 million views in the first three days of release. Jay? Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
It's been dead silence. I was deciding, like, do I want to go here or not? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the movie, um, did you all see it? Just me. I'm waiting for the director's cut. Uh, <laughs> uh, Haley is a Snyder, a Snyder cut. Snyder cut diehard. Snyder cut fangirl. Um, yeah, I mean, now as a side note, uh, he has been talking. He's like, oh, or, 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 I saw something on the Hollywood Reporter or whatever. Like one of the lead actresses of the show being like, oh, you just wait till you see the hardcore R-rated version. It's crazy. It wouldn't make it into the film. And I was just like, I could feel like steam coming out of my ears just reading it. Like, like you want me to come back again and watch part two, like of part one? Like, no, absolutely not. Um, as far as uh, a child of fire goes um i didn't hate it um i guess uh, i didn't uh, i i wasn't i wasn't as down on it yeah though and it's that's meant to not be like a super exciting review um i wasn't as down on it i think as i expected i would just based on the critics reception um but at the same time i i mean it's a conversation for another day but um i felt like it had a lot of a lot of problems um with its storytelling and its pacing and the the part two April seems a little far out if you want to keep the momentum going a little bit, but you know that's just the the way it's got to be, I guess. But I was surprised by that. I mean, that was that's a really solid debut uh, for a streaming film, especially over the holidays. Um, so yeah, that was a, that's a big it's a big get. I mean, if you hated it, if you loved it, like that's a solid debut for that property. Mm. Scotty with a rebuttal. Uh, I would yeah. just like to point out, Scotty, you let that long pause ring out for this, for this, for this, this I'm, movie. I'm going to address Knowing that. I'm going to address that. I'm going to address that. So I was going to say I was hesitating because I didn't watch the trailer for the Scarred Giver, but it didn't even get brought up. So I don't, had I known that was going to be the case, I would have chimed in earlier. But in terms of this 23 million viewer debut, I will say I contributed that, but that is only because I tried not once not twice i tried three times to watch this movie and just effectively watch the same 45 minutes over and over before i fell asleep and i i was not in a state where i was tired it was just there was there was nothing there and I'm sorry, of, i i do yeah, not root against dialogue. i do not root against Zack snyder i i you know i want him to succeed but i just cannot deny that this thing was devoid or void rather <laughs> void of any like you know real character connection or anything to grasp onto yeah it lot of dialogue like so much more dialogue than i thought that there would be in a Zack snyder movie you just don't expect there to be that much um it drug on <laughs> in parts <laughs> like it really did um just don't expect that man to have things to say <laughs> no it's not bad it's just hey maybe the director's cut hold up for the director's cut Haley, just hold yeah. out for it <laughs> i am doing my best every day I also didn't watch the the uh, the, tra- the trailer for the Scar Giver because I haven't seen the movie yet and didn't want to be spoiled. Um, but it sounds like I may never watch this movie if everybody's uh, things, everybody's thoughts seem to be this clearly together. Um, all I, right, I, I just do want to say if somebody out there is listening and enjoyed the movie, not to to yuck your yum. If you like, if you liked it, I'm glad that you liked it and glad you had fun with it. For sure, don't, absolutely. Don't let me being an elitist over here detract from your, <laughs> your good time. Self-proclaimed elitist, J. Scotty Sinclair. <laughs> I, one, one review I heard of it said, I guess this is my rebuttal, one review I heard of it said that uh, it was, um, it would have been better if it were in the Star Wars universe. And I, and I wonder about like 
how we grade things on the curve and how, like, if it's in one of our favorite universes, it's like, compared to other Star Wars movies, if we're interested for that reason, like, if we're there because it's a Star Wars movie or we're there because it's a Marvel movie or a DC movie, and then, like, this doesn't have that same hooks in us to get us in the seats and keep us glued. So I wonder how we grade on that curve and if we grade these independent films more harshly. Uh, we, we, we talked about... um the creator a few months ago. And I felt yeah. like that one was another one that like, it's really good. And like so, inside of one of those universes, I probably would have been, I would have been like, that's a really good star Wars movie or that's a really good Marvel movie. But as it's independent thing, it didn't have anything to say that made me go, this is the best, you know, like it didn't, it didn't I, hit me as hard. I think the comparison to the creator is really appropriate because not only did Gareth Edwards work on Rogue One and, you know, Rebel Moon was born out of a, a pitch for Rogue One, but yeah, everything you're saying, like, um, the creator didn't work for me on every level, but it obviously worked a lot better for me than Rebel Moon. And they both pay a lot of homage to like Star Wars and a lot of sci-fi iconography. But the difference is like the creator did it in a way that felt like it was like contributing something new and creating a new world. Whereas Rebel Moon just felt really derivative. Like you talk about mm. setting it in the Star Wars world, but I don't think it would even work in the Star Wars world because it's like, it is that just that, you know, magnificent seven, seven samurai story. Uh, where you you even have like moments like you have the moment from A New Hope where they go into the cantina and have a skir skirmish with an unsavory character. Just like I don't see this working within Star Wars because it monkeys it so much. It would just be so obvious. Mm. All right. And again, if you like the movie, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Definitely not trying to judge anyone else for liking something. For sure. Um, up next. Following the conclusion of What If Season 2, Marvel released a first look at What If Season 3, featuring Bucky Barnes and the Red Guardian. As for when Season 3 will drop, the first look simply says, soon. Matt, I'll respond to this. What the hell? <laughs> like, how are we getting a first look at Season 3? I don't know. It just feels like it's been like two years since Season 1, and I think it has. And then we got... Nine episodes in a row daily, which is a weird way to drop it. Me and Jay Scotty had a lot of fun talking about it on the MCU cast. Um, but then I felt like we'd have like another two years off from this. And then they're already <laughs> saying like, it's soon. I just feel like animation has a longer tail normally. The fact that they're able to drop a, a sneak peek this early feels, I don't know. I don't, I'm really curious about what they mean by soon. I think it's crazy that this is coming out so soon after... Uh, season two. I do think season two is particularly good, and the way it ended. Mwah. Um. So yeah, that's 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 all I gotta say. Tiny butt. It could be stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor that they're gonna put in season three. Yeah. I've already seen an internet thing about one of the episodes they cut. So. Oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. Okay, that's makes more sense. But even still, it would surprise me that they would put out a sneak peek if they if they don't plan to use it in that way. But yeah, that's why. I'm, Christopher Landon is no longer directing Scream 7. Uh, the director dropped out of the feature, capping a tumultuous few months for the embattled project that has included the exit of its two lead actors. Scotty. Yeah, I feel really bad for Christopher Landon because he was like on record as saying like Scream was his dream project and it effectively mm. turned into a nightmare project. So his exit is not surprising, you know, given the exit of Melissa Barrera and then Jenna Ortega. Like this thing was kind of like dead on arrival already. And it, it really, it's unfortunate because Scream 5 and Scream 6 were really good. Um, you know, they had 
moderate budgets that saw good returns on investment. And it seemed like everything was kind of, you know, working for the Scream franchise. But effectively, it seems like it, it's it's all over now. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm a, a lifelong fan of the Scream franchise, but I have a lot of faith that uh, Christopher Landon is going to be successful. He did the Happy Death Day movies. He did that uh, freaky movie with uh, Vince Vaughn. So uh, he's going to be okay. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does from his own imagination um, rather than having to contribute to an existing franchise. I didn't realize he'd done those other two franchises uh, or or movies. And uh, that makes a lot of sense that Scream is a dream project for him. Sure. Like at first when you said that, I was like, yeah, I'm sure you said it was your dream project when you get that project. You know, that's just something people say. But like those two movies feel very, not necessarily derivative, but like uh, inspired by the Scream oh, sure. franchise. Very, yeah. very similar tone um, to those. Interesting. The first episode of Percy Jackson and the Olympians brought in 13.3 million viewers in its first six days on Disney Plus and Hulu. Haley. I, now that I've read the Percy Jackson books, um, well, some of them I've read one and two, I'm waiting on number three, it's on hold from the library. Uh, (laughs) I think that the reason I see people who know and remember these books so well be so happy about this show is that they've really done it really well. And um, author Rick Riordan, I think, was really involved in the series. I have not seen the movies that came out years ago that everybody just says are terrible. So I think it's awesome and refreshing and probably it's a really positive thing for disney as they're looking at all the struggles that they've had recently that something that they're doing is doing well so hopefully they continue to take lessons about you know sticking true to things and quality over quantity slow horses the hit apple tv plus series based on mick heron's spy series of the same name has been renewed for a fifth season Jay, uh, Slow Horses is great. Um, it's a really good show on Apple TV+. Plus. I feel like it's one of their strongest shows, and they have a lot of very strong shows. So I know when you hear the words fifth season, you're kind of like, okay, that's a lot of seasons to catch up on. But um, I think it's worth it. And I think uh, if you haven't checked it out before, it's, uh, it's worth getting into. As of January 1st, 2024, the first iteration of the character of Mickey Mouse, dubbed Steamboat Willie, officially entered the public domain and is no longer a protected character under copyright laws. Scotty. (laughs) Yeah, this has kind of been an interesting trend as, you know, we ring in the new year. It's also become like public domain day and we get to see, you know, a new batch of characters. We saw Winnie the Pooh Hmm. that enter the, the public domain and we got wonderful things like blood and honey that resulted from it. But this is actually really interesting and really significant because Disney actually like impacted the way like copyright works, not once, but twice they changed legislation. Like um, in the seventies, I want to say like 1975 or 1976. And then again, like 97, 98, they effectively lobbied to have, you know, legislation changed so that they could hold on to their character. And um, the most recent copyright act was actually called like the Mickey mouse protection act. So, um, mm. <laughs> it's it's actually really interesting the reason that Disney is deciding not to pursue like re-upping this copyright or changing the legislation again is because they've gotten to a point where they have so many acquisitions since 1995 they've had 22 acquisitions and they only had four prior to that so they've gotten to the point where it would actually cost them more money to try and hold on to, to Steamboat Willie 
than than they they make from it. He's just not worth it and compared to everything else that they're bringing in, which is just kind of wild to me. But it's mm. just the Steamboat Willie version. Um, in the coming years, you'll see more and more of like these early versions of Mickey um, into the public domain. So it'll be a, a fun time to see what people do with it. Jay, I'm going to get the rebuttal in on this one. Um, we are going to talk about this on Commute the Podcast on Monday. So if you uh, are interested oh, in cool. hearing more about it, that's one of our topics. But uh, at the stroke of midnight, basically, whenever this <laughs> became part of the public domain, there were three uh, horror projects announced featuring Steamboat Willie, <laughs> uh, a, a vi- survival video game, a slasher film, and I believe another slasher film. One is called like Mousetrap. And like, I mean, it's, and it's exactly what you imagine. Like if you mocked it up, you know, holding the bloody knife and the bloody mask and all that type of stuff. So, you know, it's uh, that's going to be a thing now. Whenever you see these characters enter the public domain, there's money to be had there to create a slasher film around it after the Winnie the Pooh thing. Uh, it only makes sense to do it here. It's it's going to probably <laughs> make a few million dollars on a really low budget, and that's just going to be part of the tradition now of getting characters that we all know in the public domain. Have you all seen Steamboat Willie? Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird. Years ago, it's been a long time. I'd, I'd never watched in its entirety <laughs> until like it entered the public domain, and I watched it out of the novelty of it and. Mickey was abusive. He was that was yeah. like straight up animal abuse that was going on there. <laughs> the twenties were a different time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Indeed. All right. Well, those are the lightning round topics. We are going to take another quick break, and when we get back, we've got a few patron questions we're going to answer right after this. All right. Welcome back to Multiverse News, my friends. Uh, you Multiverse News hounds out there. Uh, we are uh, we're going to talk about some patron questions. If you are wanting to be one of the people who can write these questions on these weeks, uh, when we have time for some patron questions, uh, go to patreon.com slash multiverse newscast, and you can sign up for Multiverse News uh, patronage, and it is just four bucks a month, and it just supports the show. It's a dollar an episode, basically, and it uh, we, we work really hard to make the show, and if you want to tip us a dollar, it really means a lot. So uh, let's jump into these. Jazz Viz says, what is a universe that hasn't been brought to live action yet that you want to see? I grew up on reading uh, the Dragons of Pern books, and I'd love to see some of those characters on the big screen. That's all what Jazz Viz says. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, I'm not familiar with the Dragons of Pern, but sounds interesting. I, you know, I hope for Jazz Viz's sake that it eventually makes the transition and we can all become a little more familiar with it. But uh, for me, I didn't have to think too hard about this one. I immediately went to Redwall. Uh, it's a series of books from author Brian Jacques um, that are all, it's based on woodland creatures that are kind of like anthropomorphized and it's very inspired by like medieval times and Arthurian legend. And you, you basically see like mice and squirrels, like, you know, basically go on the hero's journey. And um, I read it when I was in middle school, bonded over it with my brother, and uh, I'd love to see it, you know, given the um, the big budget treatment. Netflix has the rights to it, actually. They're supposed oh, to be working we on a t- show. Yeah, we talked about that. That's right. Awesome. Woo-hoo. For me, um, fantasy and sci-fi is so big right now in the reading world, and one of the trilogies that I've just finished recently, and then uh, they a, a new book came out last year called uh, The Darker Shades of Magic Trilogy would be a really good, like... I could see it on Amazon Prime, kind of a darker sort of, it's sort of piratey, magic-y, like very, it, it goes through a lot of different uh, tropes, but it's it's unique, I think. And so I would love to see that be adapted. Hmm. 
I don't have a really great answer for this. Yeah, I don't I kept either. trying to bounce bounce good uh, thoughts and like kept being like, what about that? No, somebody did that. Oh, no, they did that too. <laughs> like okay, things that I liked. <laughs> so many things have been adapted now. Um, I'm going to go with, and it's, it's, it's almost a silly one because the current version is so good, but uh, Invincible, live action Invincible. Uh, it, it was. They said live action, not necessarily first time on screen. And I think Invincible has been a really fun and a th- uh, story. And I think bringing it to live action would be uh, brutal and fun, and it would bring it to a wider audience. And I think that show's been really great. Up next, Rachel Christine says, "Do you prefer board games or video games? And what is your favorite from that category?" Kind of depends on what I'm looking for, I guess. You know, like if I'm if I'm in a social setting, definitely board games. You can have a lot more conversation mm. and fun over a board game, in my opinion, in my experience at least. Uh, I've had more exper- more fun experiences over a board game than over a video game. Um, and <clears throat> if I'm just looking for like an easy night at home and I just kind of want to play through something by myself, I think a video game for sure. Uh, but if I'm in a social setting, uh, board games all day. Um, I love strategy games. I love Settlers of Catan. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones to, to get involved with, especially with people around. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my answer. I basically mimic your answer almost completely. Uh, I like them both for the, the for those same reasons, but I will also say board games is board games is my choice. That's like yeah. I feel like video games is like is is like a great form of entertainment, but board games is like a thing that feels special to my heart. Um, I, I, I really love board games. I actually like like to even design board games from time to time. I've designed a few that I really enjoy playing with my friends. Um, and uh, yeah, so board games. And I'm going to say Pandemic is my favorite board game. Um, it's just a, it's, I also like strategy games. Catan's one of my favorites. But Pandemic, I like the uh, communal nature of everyone working together and trying to solve a problem as a team. It's just, I, I like cooperative games like that. Uh, also board games over here. I just didn't grow up playing video games, so I don't have any skill for them, and they're just not how I would choose to spend my time. It's not a knock on people who do it at all. It's just never been my thing. Um, I love strategy games. I'm really bad at them. <laughs> I excel more at the word games like Scrabble, Boggle, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I echo similar sentiments to everyone here. If I had to choose one or the other, I would maybe say video games just because of some of the narratives I have experienced um, through that medium have really touched me. But similar to everyone else here, board games are more of the communal experience for me. Um, I do like Balderdash, Secret Hitler, Codenames, Spyfall are some favorites. Um, and when it comes to video games, I'm not much of like a multiplayer online gamer. I, I do like those like single player narrative experiences. So uh, Bioshock, I really like the Assassin's Creed franchise, Last of Us, uh, Dishonored, just to name a few. I've, all, I've almost gotten in some physical fights during games of Secret Hitler before, so I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah, that's an intense one. See, that's Monopoly for me. Like, there are too many times growing up that the board game just got flipped over, and I'm like, I will never play in Monopoly again. I'm good on that. Jay, there's a Game of Thrones Settlers of Catan that I've played. It's Ooh, really fun. I have, I have that. Okay. I haven't really played good. it. I have the same habit for both board games and video games of buying the game. And either just never starting it or barely starting it, never finish, like never, like getting a board, getting a video game that I think I'm going to love. And then I play like five minutes of it. And then I'm like, I'll come back to that tomorrow and then never get started again. And then board games have so many games in the plastic because I looked amazing. And then I never, I just don't have enough friends. I need friends in person. <laughs> All of my friends are out in podcast land. Um, uh, Hannah Wetton uh, says, what upcoming shows slash movies 
coming out this year are you most looking forward to? I feel like we did a we did an episode on this kind of uh yeah, it's been earlier a while. in the year. Yeah. On, it's been a little while though. So what what are you guys uh holding out for now? What's 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 the top of your list? MCU wise, I'm looking forward to Darkhold Diaries the most. Mm, um yeah. and outside of the nerd world uh shogun looks really good fx Ooh, good is doing call. a mini series i'm listening to the book right now it's 60 hours long but Ooh. it's really good Whoa. um they're also putting out a show on netflix that's the talented mr ripley which sounds really interesting uh based on the movie not based on the movie based on the books but the movie came out a while back and it stars um oh his name just leaves me he's the priest in fleabag uh I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Moriarty and Sherlock with yeah, I know the guy, but Eddie I don't know his actual name. Andrew something. Oh, no. He looks like Mor- Eddie Izzard, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So I'm looking forward to those. Yeah, he's he's a great actor, and I don't know his name. Yeah, I feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, fran- right, franchise wise, um, I'm really looking forward to the Acolyte, which is a Star Wars series that's supposed to be coming out this year. Um, I'm really looking forward to the Penguin. Uh, I really liked that. Um, Robert Pattinson led Batman movie. I thought it was very well done and really interesting. So um, I really liked Colin Farrell in that role. So I'm interested in that. Um, and then uh, past that, I think just looking uh, looking ahead, I'm, I'm really got my eye on Fallout um, as somebody who has a has a relationship with that franchise already and um, seen the te- teaser trailer and everything. Like that's definitely circled on the calendar to uh, to check out as well. Mm. Andrew Scott is yeah. the name of that ah. actor. Who plays Moriarty and uh, the priest on Fleabag? I love Fleabag so much. Um, my probably most anticipated right now is the rest of the episodes of Fargo. That show is <laughs> nice. just, I am loving that show right now. Really, really loving that show. Um, and above that, like, uh, I believe Strange New Worlds is getting a season three. Also, really excited about Agatha Darkhold Diaries and um, also Echo. Uh, two like Echo is only a few days away, and I'm really pumped for that. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of the things that are on my list from you guys already. So um, I didn't hear Dune Part Two, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody said Deadpool Three, Furiosa, Joker, Folia Do, The Fall Guy, Ooh. If, and then TV wise, um, X Men '97, What If Season Three. I think are the only ones I had that didn't get mentioned. So representing the animation. Uh, speaking of animation, uh, Megan Lakowski says, how excited or nervous are you all for Avatar The Last Airbender? No comment from me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guess I have a zero on the nervous or excited meter because I have not <laughs> seen the show, but I have heard of how amazing the show is. So maybe yeah. in live action, I'll actually like get into it. Yeah, I don't have a super vested interest in this one. I like the series, but I'm more excited for my friends that I know are really big fans of it. It seems like it's going to be a faithful adaptation. And it, in terms of the adaptations we've seen in the past, the less I say, the better. But we can only go up up from here, is, is what <laughs> yeah. I would say. Are you, so are you not a big uh, Avatar The Last Airbender fan? I like Avatar The Last Airbender. It just came out at a time where like, I remember watching my brother watch it, but it was just never that. I was just like a couple of years too old. Like I was like, working and and schoolwork was too much and like i've gone back and watched it and and like it a lot but it just doesn't hold that same place with me that it does for a lot of people you know which i I kind of regret it 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 seems like a a a lovely show to have that passion for but just timing wise never never hit me that way yeah that's how i the way you described it is how i often feel about star wars because i I like star wars fine 
I watched a lot of it, but it just didn't hit me the same as a lot of other people. And so I always joke about being not the Star Wars guy and not really liking it. And like, yeah. but it's just true that like, it's just not my fandom necessarily, even though I've seen so much of it. Um, and it's just like, I like it, but it's just everyone else is like, it's Star Wars. It's like my religion. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm a Starfleet officer. That's my religion. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's just a different, it's, it, yeah, it, I totally feel that. I, it's like that kind of regret for not loving it as much as other people do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish a lightsaber meant that to me because they're everywhere. Um, <laughs> um, Andrew A says, are any of you community fans? If so, are you excited for the community movie, which will hopefully be coming out next year? Yes. I am a big community fan. Yeah. yeah. I watched it as it was airing. And, um, I, it was like, it came on before the office and parks and rec, like in that NBC lineup. So it would be community then, uh, and then I think the office and then I think parks and rec was how it was laid out. And so I was watching the office at the time and parks and rec, but I started noticing that I was coming away laughing more at community every week. Like that was the show I was way more invested Mm -hmm. in. And, um, yeah, like I really followed that show as it was coming out. I think it still holds up today. I think it's still hilarious today, uh, to go back and watch. And uh, the fact that they're coming back to this universe with Dan Harmon at the helm, like, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan to mirror basically everything you said, but uh, and I just love Dan Harmon, um, his influence that's felt all over Rick and Morty too. Like, I just I really like the way his mind works and the sort of um, have, you, have any of you guys followed the podcast Harmon Town? I, I listened to it a, a, a few times a couple of years ago. It's been a while though. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of Harmon Town. And it is, it's just, it's just a, him doing a live show, a weekly live yeah. show. And it's really, really good. And I just like the way he thinks about media. And he's a very like, he's just, I mean, it's, it shows from both community and Rick and Morty. He's just very aware of what he is making and how it will be received and how he can subvert it. And I, I want to say it's been too long. Like community, the movie should have happened a long time ago. Um, but I feel like Dan Harmon has the, if anyone has it, he will have the ability to like hang a lantern on that in a way that will like make the movie work. You know what I mean? Hasn't the series already like effectively done that by like, you know, championing six seasons in a movie? Like it, it's, yeah, I love the self, exactly. pro- self-fulfilling like prophecy there as a fan of community. That's what really excites me. And I, everything you both have brought up, but just like it, it excites me to have like a lot of these, these players come back like, Dan Harmon. This is where the Russo brothers uh, cut their teeth in a lot of ways with those paintball episodes. This is how they kind of proved that they had the chops to to do bigger things. But then, like, yeah, Dan, Danny Pudi, uh, Dan, uh, Donald Glover, so on and, and, and so forth. It'd just be really nice to see all of them back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to be the whole cast. Like, um, you know, I'm I'm in, but I'd really be in if it's everybody. It's got to be the whole table together. Including I mean, I know Chevy, Chevy I know Chevy Chase isn't gonna be there. It's <laughs> no, not gonna happen. But everybody but Chevy Chase, uh, and uh, we're we're flying. I would love to see Chevy Chase come back, even if like for like a, a like a I flashback think stuff that's come out though. It's like everybody on the set hated him. Like like nobody got along with him at all, and it was a disaster behind the scenes. Absolutely, which is which is why if he did, I'd want it to be like a cameo or something. But like, it would be kind of great to do like some sort of origin flashback of whatever they're gonna do in the movie and get like a young Pierce or whatever, like doing something to kind of get get that character in there. I don't know. Um, well, y'all want to run through a couple more or we were trying to pull one from each super person lightning round, in, but we can refuse. 
Super yeah. lightning round. What got you into podcasting? Anybody got a good answer for We've what got you into podcasting? We've done this one, actually. So, Matt, you should. Oh, yeah. that's right. Answer. You did. You did. I did not answer this one because I wasn't here. Um, what got me into podcasting was uh, I uh, we love listening to podcasts. And I was listening to so many, so many, many, many hours of podcasts. And a lot of them about the TV and movies that I liked. And I would be listening to these guys talk. And just be so frustrated that I couldn't say words back. Like, <laughs> so frustrated. It was like the most, like, and I was like, I just, sometimes it was because they were just so not getting the point of the show they're watching. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going deep enough or they're not paying attention or they would say things that were just like blatantly not true, especially people that dislike shows. Cause there's a lot of those kind of hate watchers who yeah. watch something they make podcasts to hate on it. Um, and that's why I don't like to do that because I would listen to those shows and they would be like really disliking something. Like, why did this character do that? It made no sense. And then I'd be like, because you weren't paying attention. You hate the show so much <laughs> you're not paying attention and you're making a podcast for it and you should be paying attention to the show you're watching if you're going to podcast about it. And so, like, I just kept being like frustrated by Matt not being able to podcasting talk. podcasting because of spite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's probably the thing that's motivated me most in life. <laughs> yeah. You can only yeah, rage yeah. against the machine for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I finally was just like, well, I'm just starting one. So, started uh started started one and then eventually started the MCU cast and uh that's split off to all the other ones um but yeah it, that's why um up next what is your favorite uh, this is Rachel Christine says what is your favorite nerdy item you own i.e. a lightsaber a pop fig or someone of someone or a comic I'll be right back aids. <laughs> 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 gotta show it off I like it please show um, it off my first one is my friend Tommy made me this. I bought a piece of his art, um, and then he threw this in for me. It's Black Widow, so he drew it for me. And if you want to commission art from him, it's Tommy Lombardozzi on Instagram, and he's just an awesome, awesome artist. Um, and then two of my comics are two of my favorites, too. Um, so this one's a WandaVision variant cover for the Ooh. current Steve Orlando Scarlet Witch run, which I think is wrapped up now, but you can read it on Marvel Unlimited. It's really good. And since I love WandaVision, I had to have that. Um, and it's by David Nakayama, who does really great, just unique, I think, variant covers for comics. And like this one is a virgin cover of his, so it doesn't have the trade info on the front or anything like that. Um, and it's signed, and it's Elsa Bloodstone, who I just fucking love because she's amazing. So <laughs> those are some of my favorite um, I've just like the things that are more personal like that to me are the things that, that you treasure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What Jay Scotty, you went and got something. What do you got? I did. I went and grabbed a visual aid as well. And you know, um, <laughs> some listeners may not know this about me, but, um, in terms of like collecting nerdy stuff, I'm actually a pretty big action figure guy. So I have <laughs> this, um, action figure. It's a SH figure arts. Um, action figure of Captain America, but this one is custom because my favorite uh, uniform of Caps is from Age of Ultron, which was way too short-lived. They went for the darker color palette and just ran with it. I always love that Age of Ultron, but they actually sent me the wrong figure. They sent me the Avengers Assemble version of the of the character, which is not a suit that I enjoy as much. But they sent me the correct one for free, and I was actually able to pop the head off of the other one and put it onto my <laughs> Age of Ultron version. So I've got the the version of Cap that I want on display here. 
So if you like uh, action figures, yeah, that's my Toy Story. That's right. That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) Popping off heads. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that, like like both the other things came with a story. Mine also comes with a bit of a story, and it is my Captain America shield that is normally hanging behind me. Uh, luckily, it was within arm's length. I didn't have to get up because I thought I was gonna might tumble some guitars trying to pick it up. But uh, <laughs> I love this shield. It's so cool. It's got like the straps on the back. And it came from our buddy Brian V. Klein as a gift the first time we got to meet up in person um, uh, as, as a group of pandas. Um, and so uh, that means a lot to me, both uh, because I love the character of Cat, but also just as a part of this community. And the first time I got to meet some of the friends that I had made in podcast world in real life. And so I really love that. Uh, I hit it with Stormbreaker. It was awesome. Yeah. You also, you guys, <laughs> I went to sleep. Okay. I went to sleep <laughs> that night and I woke up and my brand new shield that was new in the packaging that uh, BVK got me has like scratches and dents all over it, it because people were yeah, <laughs> fighting like with black it. panther claws going at it yeah, yeah. Hey, what's it this, for i don't think i'm the one that dented it <laughs> i'm not no. that strong meant to be dents and scratches <laughs> no that's the thing I, I i joke that i'm annoyed and i'm not at all i love the scratches and dents because it reminds me of all of you guys um because they were like apparently having like some sort of coin war while I was asleep. They were throwing coins at each other and blocking them with the shield, and it still has like dents from the coins hitting it. <laughs> anyway, I love I it. Coin war because of the, how cool it is, and because of the character, but because it reminds me of all of you guys um, that we got to meet up that time and other times. So yeah. Oh. <laughs> Jay, do you have any uh, any any favorite things? Favorite no, items? I'm I'm not really a collector. Um, I don't really, I don't really, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really have that like side of nostalgia for things as much. So um, I haven't really gone out and collected a lot of things. But you know, you guys are inspiring me a little bit. Maybe I should. I'm I'm not much <laughs> of a collector either. But like the few things, I try to keep the few things I have. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know if y'all noticed. Probably not. I moved my desk a few feet over. And now this wall has a lot more space on it because of uh, it's further from that wall. It used to be way over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited because this exact picture has a lot more space to put a few cool things up here. Like I have some, I want to put something from a few movies and TV shows I really like, but we just painted the walls and I tried to move, decided to move my desk down. Um, so the few things I have are going to get displayed here, or I'm going to buy something for specifically certain movies. I still got all my beanie babies. I thought that they would pay my, pay for my college. So, um, but still waiting on that. <laughs> Maybe I could buy a house with them someday. I don't know. It's never happening. <laughs> <laughs> that movie come out? That one we were it talking did. about a, yeah, a little while back. It's on TV Plus. I watched most of it. Yeah, it's a awesome. wild time. Was it called like Beanie Baby Boom or something like that? Was it uh, the Beanie Beanie Bubble? Beanie Bubble. Beanie yeah. Bubble. There we go. Those are all good names, though. Uh, Beanie Baby Boom is choice like the triple alliteration um all right uh megan lakowski says who has watched marvelous mrs mazel and if someone has then what would be a good idea for a spin-off series we've all seen it right yeah we all have i just finished it up recently like within the last uh within the last month so it's still pretty fresh Mm. i loved it yeah it was great great show yeah so good 
spinoff. I don't. Uh, I don't love the idea of a spinoff like her right kids off. Point, um, maybe from her kids' points of view, because like you'd see what a real mess she was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's. I, I would love to see that world explored more, but it's such a singular vision, and I, I mostly care about her perspective and and stuff. It's hard to think of any of the characters. What's the? I really like her father a lot um, on the show, Abe. but like. His story as told through her eyes, yeah. and like especially the resolution of their story, like I get choked up thinking about what's, it. What's the name love, of the camp that they went up to in the summer? Um, up in the Catskills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no it. idea. What I mean, the you could called. do a you could do like a summer camp. Uh, you know. Oh, that'd uh, be fun. <laughs> Spinoff like show, dancing, marvelous yeah. Mrs. Maisel <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that could be cool. Actually, like do it set slightly after, so she's already famous, and she's like yeah. the the touring act coming through and like, yeah, that could be really fun. Um, just a great series. I, and and this thing, the show is so cool and expansive and it's obviously based on the story of this lady getting famous and, and her struggles through the industry and stuff. But like every one of the little stories of the minor characters I love. So I, I don't know, but I guess whoever made that show, I want to see more from what they make. <laughs> Amy Sherman Palladino. Gilmore okay. Girls. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. I know, so so fast. Show, that makes <laughs> absolute sense. That, that totally makes sense now. Well, we answered a couple from each of the patrons who sent stuff in. So thank you, patrons. Um, and we will try to get to more another time um, and be posting in the group to do more. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, any, anybody got any last thoughts uh, before we get out of here? Great year for news, 2024. Great year for news. Here it comes. Tell your friends. D- d- 100 years. Multiverse news. <laughs> Jay, tell them where they can find you online. Yeah, I'm at uh, Commute the Podcast, where you can come learn three interesting things in about 20 minutes uh, on your way to work. Uh, we took the holidays off, so we haven't had a new episode for a couple weeks, but we'll be back on Monday. Sweet. And Haley Hobbs, tell them where they can find you online. Likewise, we took most of December off over on Source Pages, but uh, today I realized that Echo comes out next week. So we will be reading <laughs> comics for Echo. We're going to read Phoenix Song from 2021. It's five issues. Uh, we'll be doing that next week. Awesome. And Jay Scotty. Yeah, Animation Deliberations, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And as I understand, the second part of Invincible's second season is on the way. Uh, we have what if season three just around the corner? So we need to get busy and uh, cover it all over there. So check us out. Speaking of taking off the holidays, I didn't. Uh, we did a, a, an episode for every episode of What If. Jay Scotty was on seven of them, I believe. And yep. uh, we, we covered most of What If together. So please go check out that. Jeff's on a lot of those episodes. And it was just a lot of fun. Really good series if you haven't seen it yet, because you probably haven't had time because it's the holidays and they put out an episode every day. But check them out and listen to the podcast, Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. And we will be back on Multiverse News. Peace. You stay classy, Multiverse.